in, in the late 1970s, there was a lot of speculation in America about the end of the world in the late 1970s. Americans at that time were fascinated with the impending end of the world. And uh, there, were, there were movies about the Antichrist. There were books. Um, and if we can put that first picture up, there was a very famous book that came up, The Late Great Planet Earth. I read it cover to cover. Um, and there were magazine articles. You can see, will the world end in the year 2000? Did it end? No. Okay, just checking. Um, and so there was a lot of conversation and preaching and teaching and movies and books and films about the end of the world. Um, and at the time, I attended an independent fundamental Baptist church, and uh, we had the worship service first. And then after the worship service was over, we had Sunday school. And if you were in junior high on up, you were all together in the adult Sunday school. And for a year and a half, we did a study of the book of, guess what? Revelation. And we color-coded certain things. And if you can put that next picture up, Mrs. Harvey, the pastor's wife, made a curtain of the, what was called the seven dispensations of world history. And when it came time for Sunday school, Pastor Larry would take the curtain and he would pull it across the front of the big Sunday school room and he would talk about all of these kinds of things and how we were at toward the end when everything was going to happen, the big stuff. And I remember thinking, wow, I'm living in the end times. I was convinced of it. Um, and I was convinced I was living in the last days. I often wondered, will I get to become a grown-up? You know, or will, I, will it happen before I even get to become a grown-up or get married and stuff like that? That was 1981, okay? Ronald Reagan came into office. The economy picked up. The Soviet Union collapsed. Things started looking up. And so eschatology kind of took a back seat for a little while. Uh, one of the things that Jesus clearly taught consistently, and we have this recorded throughout the New Testament, is that he would return to the earth. He explicitly said on many different occasions, the Son of Man, I am coming back. When you see the Son of Man, and he talked, uh, talked about it frequently, and it's recorded in, in, in the Gospels. And because of that, in every century since his death and resurrection, there had been a group of people that were convinced that his return would happen in their lifetime. There were a group of people in the first century who were convinced, we're going to see Jesus return. There were a group of people in the 1500s who were convinced. We're, you know, and so there have been people in every generation since then. Even the Apostle Paul, in some of his earlier writings, makes it sound like Jesus' return is very, very close, very, very close. And when you get to some of his later writings, it, it has more the tone of, well, I'm not sure when, but trust me, he's coming. Okay? And so I want to ask a question of you. You guys seem astute. A number of you are college grads. Let me ask you this question, and the question is this. Is this world going to last forever? <laughs> I get a resounding no from the left. Let me ask it again. Is this world going to last forever? Yes. Okay. Uh, if, Jesus, if Jesus Christ decides to wait until the last possible moment to return, 
we know from science that at about 5 billion years from now, our sun is going to become a red giant. It will engulf Mercury and Venus, and it will bake the life out of anything on this planet, okay, in roughly 5 billion years. So no, this world will not last forever. It's not eternal, and we even know that from science. I would suggest to you that in all likelihood, the end of the world will be a little bit sooner than that. But who knows when that is, right? Um, History is not some kind of endless cycle of repeating events. It isn't. And and I want to suggest to you this morning that history is actually headed somewhere. History has a destination, um, a, a conclusion, you might call it. And our movies and our storytelling in the West reflect this. And they'll put up a few pictures of several films. Um, Let me ask you a question. In all of these films that have good versus evil, who wins? I know, it's like every single movie. Isn't that weird? The good guys always win. And the few movies that are made where the bad guys win, guess what? They don't do so well in the box office. It's the weirdest thing. Uh, Let me try another thing. In movies, when boy meets girl, what typically happens? Boy gets girl. At some point in the end, there's a wedding, they get together, it works out, you know, blah, blah, blah. And so I want to suggest to you that our movies and our storytelling really are kind of pale reflections of the story that is recorded in Genesis to Revelation. One of the bigger themes of the story is Good versus evil. And guess what? At the end, who wins? The good guys. Um, Jesus himself, when he talked about his return, he talked about it in terms of the language of a wedding, of a bride being united with her groom. And, And so I would suggest to you that a lot of our storytelling is simply kind of pale attempts at getting at the bigger story that's at play that defines human history. So how is this all going to shake out? How are things going to end for us? Well, there's a theological term, and if they'll put that up here. In theology, the study of the end things is ta eschata, or eschatology. Um, And eschatology is the study of things that are about the second coming of Jesus. And it's from the Greek word eschatos, which means last things, final things. That's where we get this. Okay? Now, because you're Americans, because you're Americans, you have mostly been exposed to one view of eschatology. There's one view that's been the most favorite view in America, but there are actually four major views. Did you know that? Probably not. And so I want to flesh out some of that. The one view that is most popular, and if they'll put this next picture up, is the view that informs the movie and the book left behind. How many of you have ever read the book or seen the movie? Okay, a a number of you. That particular eschatology actually has a name. It's called dispensational millennialism. Oh, I know, that's like an ism. (sighs) You know, you've got to be careful about ismists and ismists, okay? uh, 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 Dispensational premillennialism. And if we'll put this next picture up, dispensational premillennialism came about mostly in the 1800s. This fellow right here 
He was a theologian named J. Nelson Darby, and he kind of developed this idea that God works differently at different times in history, and there are different ages or dispensations. And, and so it was, became very popular because a, a Bible, another Bible scholar by the name of C.I. Schofield believed the same things or this particular view, and he put it in his notes in his Schofield Reference Bible, which from about 1901 to, you know, for decades was the best-selling Bible in America. There were, there are actually congregations in the United States in 1935 or 1959 where if you were the preacher, all you needed to do was say, turn to page 652 because everyone had the exact same Bible. Guess what Bible I had in Pastor Larry's class on Revelation? The Schofield Reference Bible. Okay, that's the Bible that I had. And so uh, this term here, premillennialism, blah, I can barely even say it. I, can bar- I had to practice several times, not even box. Okay, so we'll put the next picture up. Premillennialism and these four views of eschatology or in things actually come from this passage in Revelation, if they could go back to Revelation, okay? Revelation uh, chapter 20, verses 4 and 6, it says this, and this is John's vision of, that he's been given by Jesus about the end of the world and how things shake out at the end. Then I saw thrones and people sitting on them had been given authority to judge, and I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their testimony about Jesus and proclaiming the world of God. The word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or his statue, nor accepted his mark on their foreheads or their hands. They all came to life again, and they reigned with Christ for a thousand years. This is the first resurrection. The rest of the dead did not come back to life until the thousand years had ended. Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. For them, the second death holds no power, but they'll be priests of God, and Christ will reign with him a how long? Thousand years. Do you know what the word to describe a thousand years is? Millennium. Now, you guys at Generations, you hear that word, and what you tend to think of is not thousand years. You tend to think of a ship. And if they'll put the picture up here, you tend to keep going, keep going. You tend to think of this, <laughs> right? You hear Millennium, and you're like, yes, Hans and Chewy, okay? Millennium is simply a way of, it's another word for thousand years, right? Now, if you could back this slide back up, there are, I mentioned there are actually four major views. Dispensational premillennialism is one of those four views. And people from that camp, um, did you just change my pictures? Go back. People from that perspective say that uh, Jesus, there's going to be a rapture of the church before things get really bad, and then Jesus will come back. And, and on earth, there will be literally a thousand years where Jesus is in charge of everything, and then judgment comes. There's historic premillennialism, um, and this, this uh, was people like Justin Martyr, um, George Ladd, the scholar, is a historic premillennialist, and they believe roughly similar, no rapture, but things are going to get really bad, and then boom, Jesus comes back and there's a thousand years where he literally is running the world and then boom, it's judgment. Then there's amillennialism. Uh, they look at that thousand years as something that's a period of time and they don't see it as something that's literal. Um, and, but again, Jesus is coming back and then boom, there's judgment. 
And then post-millennialists, that's another major view. These people say, yeah, things are going to get bad, but then they're going to get really awesome. And then Jesus comes back and judges everyone. And they don't believe that it's a little thousand years either. So if we can go to the next slide. Um, These these particular, uh, actually go back a couple. Because I want to talk about, go back, so yeah, go back a couple. So dispensational premillennialism was really popular at about 1860 to the present, and it's the major, most common view that Americans tend to have about eschatology. Historical premillennialism was really popular in the first century and kind of didn't really take off from there. Amillennialism uh, became popular around 400, and there are some people who believe in that today. And then postmillennialism um, has got more popular again also in the 1800s. Um, in, in the efforts of full disclosure, your pastor is an amillennialist. So that's where I am. You can be anywhere on this chart um, because all four of these views of the end, there are well-informed Christians that have researched and done biblical interpretation, and they all come down a little differently. So if we can keep going uh, to the actual where it plays out. So the Left Behind movie, when you hear about the tribulation and the rapture, this is where this comes from, okay? And so in dispensational premillennialism, Jesus came and he died and he rose again, and then things get really bad, and then Jesus is in charge of the world for a thousand years, and then boom, it's judgment and eternity. Historical premillennialism, roughly the same. There's just no rapture and tribulation. It just gets really bad, and then boom, it's the millennium and judgment. And if we can go to the next uh, set of two, amillennialists say there's good stuff and bad stuff that runs simultaneously from when Jesus died and rose again to when he comes, and when he comes, boom, he comes, and it's judgment and eternity. Postmillennialists are a little different. They say it gets bad, but then it gets really awesome. And then Jesus comes back, and it's judgment, okay? So uh, this is complicated stuff, isn't it? Right? Who knew there were so many isms and millennialisms and ismists and all this stuff that's a part of that? Um, I just wanted you to be exposed, generations, to the fact that there are different ways of looking at eschatology. And those are the four major views that have tended to be held by Christians. Um, And so... All four of them, if we can go to the next picture, all four of them affirm a couple of things uh, together. All four insist Jesus Christ is literally and physically coming back. You can take it to the bank. The other thing that all four affirm is that only Christians, and there are lots of different words that the Bible uses to talk about that group of people, believers, disciples, Followers of Jesus, you get the idea. Adopted sons and daughters. Only Christians will be saved from judgment. Remember how all four of those charts had Jesus return and then judgment? Christians are the ones who are going to be spared that. Okay? And so we're going to talk about judgment in a few weeks. So I, in light of the fact that there's these different views, what did Jesus have to say exactly? And so... If you brought a Bible, I want you to open it to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. And look at what Jesus had to say about his return. Okay? So Matthew chapter 24, and we're going to start in verse 3. 
and if they'll put that up. Later, Jesus on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives. His disciples came to him privately and said, Tell us, when will all this happen? What sign will signal your return at the end of the world? They want to know two things. You've been talking about some really scary stuff, boss. When's this stuff going to happen? And then secondly, hey, could you kind of give us a heads up like so that we could kind of know, oh boy, he's coming. You know, could, we'd love to know those two things, all right? So they're asking two questions, and the rest of chapter 24 is Jesus answering these two questions, all right? So let's pick it up, verses 4 and 5. Jesus told them, don't let anyone mislead you, for many will come in my name claiming I'm the Messiah. They'll deceive many, and you'll hear of wars and threat of wars, but don't panic. Yes, these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. So the first thing he says is, there are going to be false messiahs. I'm 47 years old. I can personally think of a long list of false messiahs. Jim Jones and the the people that he convinced that he was special and he was a messiah and they all drank Kool-Aid and died. There was David Koresh in Texas. There are on this planet right now people who deludedly believe they're the Messiah. Jesus warned us. A lot of people are going to come along and they're going to claim this. Don't believe them. Okay? Uh, Verses 6 through 8, he says this, And you'll hear of wars and threats of wars, but don't panic. These things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Nation will go against war against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in many parts of the world. But all this is only the first of the birth pains with more to come. So he's talking about human and natural disasters. And he's borrowing from Jeremiah 51 and from Daniel 11. And there's a little bit of a double meaning going on here. Because on the one hand, many scholars will say Jesus is talking about the stuff that happened in and around Jerusalem between 30 and 70 A.D. Um, If you know your world history, in the 60s A.D., the Jews in Jerusalem decided it would be a good time to revolt against Rome. As was the case with any nation that attempted to revolt against Rome before really 200 AD, guess who won? Rome. And so it got really bad in and around Jerusalem, and the Roman army literally destroyed the city and tore down the temple. And many, many Jews lost their lives in the attempt to revolt against Roman authorities. So many scholars will say Jesus is in part talking about that, but he's also talking about the long arc of human history. And he's saying bad stuff's going to happen. Just count on it. Disasters are going to take place. Horrific catastrophes are going to take place. I'm telling you, just be ready. It's part of life. It's going to happen in the long arc of human history. But there's this word here, birth pains. This is only the first of the birth pains. Let me let you in on a little secret about the women of this church. They're all different, and they all have their babies differently. When they're pregnant, they know what's coming. A baby. A baby's coming at some point. Hopefully it's nine months. Sometimes it's seven months. And when she starts going into labor, how many contractions does a woman have before the baby arrives? Right. Women will acknowledge there are too many contractions. There need to be fewer contractions, okay? 
you can't number. And if you have, if you personally have four or five babies, guess what? The number of contractions that you have with each baby is going to vary. And so part of what Jesus is getting at here is, okay, when you're pregnant, you know the baby's coming. In other words, you can take it to the bank, I'm coming back. As to exactly when that's going to happen, well, how many contractions are you going to have? Hmm. And so there's a little bit of a question mark when it comes to that. All right? Let's keep going, verses 9 through 13. Then you will be arrested, persecuted, and killed. This is great news, isn't it? You will be hated all over the world because you are my followers. And many will turn from me and betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and will deceive many people. Sin will be rampant everywhere and the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Be ready for persecution. I always chuckle when I hear the preachers who say that following Jesus makes everything in your life happy. And I think... Are you talking about the same Jesus that I follow? Like, they nailed him to a cross. Like, thank God he rose again. But I'm telling you, you know, it did, you know, so I always chuckle when I hear the whole happiness thing. And Jesus himself, throughout his teaching, is fairly clear that following him is going to have some kind of cost. Following him and making him your king is going to somehow, you're going to experience some tribulation and stuff like that. Now, in America, let's be honest, we've got it pretty easy. We do. We can pretty much follow Jesus with few repercussions, not like there are in lots of places of the world. Um, I've read a report that says more Christians have lost their lives for their faith in the last 50 years than in the previous 2,000 years. Okay? All right? So... We have it pretty easy here. But Jesus makes it clear, following him is going to have a price. And then there's the linchpin, which is verse 14. He says this, And the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it, and then the end will come. So that all nations. The word used here really means uh, a people group, a group of people who share a same language and culture. And what Jesus is saying in this verse is, when Christians have evangelized and made disciples of every people group on the planet, what's going to happen? The end will come. If you want a clear indicator for whether it's getting sooner or later, it's right here in this verse. Right there in that verse. Because he says, you take the Great Commission seriously, you evangelize, you make disciples, and once there are disciples of every tribe... That's when history gets wrapped up. That's when you can expect my coming, okay? But let's go down to verse 36. He makes some caveats. Jesus says this, However, no one knows the day or the hour when these things will happen, not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself. Only the Father knows. When the Son of Man returns, it will be like it was in Noah's day. In those days, before the flood, people were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time Noah entered his boat. People didn't realize what was going to happen until the flood came and swept them all away. That's the way it will be when the Son of Man comes. Two men will be working together in the field. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding flour at the mill. One will be taken, the other left. So you too must keep watch, for you don't know the day or the hour. Wait a minute. 
for you don't know what day your Lord is coming. Understand this, if a homeowner knew exactly when a burglar was coming, he would keep watch and not permit his house to be broken into. You also must be ready all the time, for the Son of Man will come when least expected. In this large passage, in answering the question that his disciples pose, he says, look, I don't even know the specifics. I don't even know the specifics. But I can tell you this, my coming is going to catch most people by surprise, just like Noah in the flood. It, most people, and so part of what he's saying in this passage, if a few believers have a sense that it's imminent, maybe, but outsiders, people outside the kingdom, are going to be going about life the way they always go about life. They're going to be doing business going to work, going to sleep, getting married, doing all the things people do day in and day out. Only one day, that's the day. And they're not even going to have a sense that this was the last day. And so there's this sense of suddenness. There's this sense of um, you, you're not going to get explicit warning. It's not like you're going to turn on the Today Show one day and Al Roker's going to have a seven-day forecast and on Friday, you know, it's the end of the world. <laughs> and he's going to say, we got great weather, but then on Friday when Jesus comes back, you know, it's a ball of fire or whatever it is, okay? It's, it's not going to play out that way. You're not going to get explicit warning, okay? Um, but Jesus says, keep watch. Keep watch. That doesn't mean look for when it's going to happen. It means be ready, he has in mind the idea of a night watchman who's alert and awake all night and ready for anything. And the way that you and I keep watch is by how we live. We live in such a way so that if Jesus were to walk in at any moment, we wouldn't have a reason to be ashamed and go, oh, it's you, right? That's how we keep watch. That's how we stay ready. We live that kind of life, right? So let me ask you a couple of questions in light of all of this. One, do you believe that history is headed somewhere? Do you believe that history is headed somewhere? I do. I'm convinced of it. And I'm convinced that Jesus has a significant role in the end of human history. And that's the second question. What role do you think Jesus has in the future of the human race? Some practical things to take from this passage and from what Jesus has to say about his return expect trouble, right? That came up a lot, didn't it? Trouble, tribulation, hardship. So expect it. Don't be so surprised when you get some, okay? Expect it. That's what he says. And then secondly, don't assume it's way off. If you knew today at 2 p.m. that one of the tires on your car would blow out, and you had, let's say you knew this all week, wouldn't you have at least on Friday taken the car in and gotten a new tire? I mean, wouldn't you have checked the spare? Some of you are like, no, I just would have been like, Boom, oh, there it is. <laughs> you don't want to treat Jesus' return that way, okay? And so the way you and I live, the way you and I live is the way we keep watch. The problem, I think one of the problems with Christianity today is that we live like we don't think Jesus is coming back anytime soon. Most, let's, let's be honest, most of American religious experience, we're pretty convinced, yeah, it's going to keep going on. We'll get a new president. We'll get a different president. Things will go up. Things will go down. But we've got plenty. There's plenty of time. 
That's the perspective we tend to have in America. I'll save for retirement in my 40s. I'll, you know, there's plenty of time. <laughs> okay? I'm not sure that's a wise approach to have in light of what Jesus himself says about his return. Um, and I, so I think it's a mistake to have that kind of laissez-faire attitude because literally there will be a day when people get up and go to work or on the other side of the world, they go to bed, and that's the day. That's the day. Boom. He will return. And we're going to talk about what that looks like and, and some maybe common misconceptions about his return in a couple of weeks. Roughly 80 years ago, people in Poland and Germany were caught into this thing called World War II. There were people who just happened to be Jews living in Poland. And before they knew it, they got caught up into this thing, World War II. In December, in outside of Honolulu, in December of 1941, there were American sailors. They volunteered. They signed up for the U.S. Navy. They were on ships, and they got caught up when the Japanese showed up and dive-bombed Pearl Harbor. They got caught up into World War II. What I want to say to you is that the end of the world and Jesus' return will have that kind of effect. Everybody's going to be affected. It's going to affect everybody. It's going to, it's going to pull it in like a giant gravity well. It's that big and that amazing. And the second thing is I want to suggest to you is that in the sense that history is headed somewhere, you're actually headed somewhere. Did you know that? You personally, your life, you're headed somewhere. Today, you're headed somewhere. Your life has a trajectory to it. A good question to ask yourself is, does my life trajectory include Jesus? And to what degree does it include him? I'm convinced that at his return, a lot of us will do some repenting of kingdom building of our own, and we'll, we'll have this attitude of, you know what? You are the king. More of my life should have been about your kingdom and not the ones that I made. So as we get going, I just wanted to give you an overview and know that there's lots of different views when it comes to the end. But if there's one thing that's clear, Jesus is coming back. I'm convinced of it. And you should be too.